We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to another dwarf cast brought to you by Ganymede and Titan. And this time round, it's a ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man, man special. special, man versus waffle, special waffle, special, where waffly versatile. And in case you didn't get that, this is a special edition of Waffleman, what is normally a section of the podcast in which we answer your questions and queries and topics on anything Red Dwarf related or otherwise. Except this time, it's a whole podcast of it. Hooray! Because we've run out of other things to do at this point. <laughs> we have finished Red Dwarf. As Doug Naylor would say, this is a WMS. <laughs> yes. A woman's. A woman's. <laughs> Anyway, I'm Ian Symes, and joining me as always are my fellow brothers in Waffle, uh, Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stephen, son. Oh, yeah. So, we've got a massive teetering pile of waffles here that have been donated by our beautiful listeners slash readers. A few that have been on the pile for a while and they're going a bit stale, so we'll delve into one of those first, I think. There are some that we are saving for future dwarf casts that are very specific, but of the generic ones, one of the oldest in the pile is International Debris asking, if Kachansky had been brought in at the start of Seven rather than straight after Rimmer left, how do you think it would affect her characterisation, relationships with the other characters, and the overall fan impression of her? So I think the way you start this one is that how would Kachansky have been brought into the fold in the first place? Because I think that the, the way that she was brought into the fold really didn't do Kachansky any favours in terms of mm. how she was presented to the crew because she was sort of like because it was an accident she ended up with them so yeah and it, story wise Rimmer could have been in a robberus quite easily yeah but I think the overall problem is because we do get Rimmer in Kachansky episodes anyway and so I think the main problem is is that overall as a series Kachansky replaced Rimmer and that would still be true if Kachansky was in Ticker and Stoke mm. I think. Yeah, I seem to remember that around the time Doug was at pains to steer the conversation to say that it's not a direct replacement, he was going to bring Kachansky in anyway. Mm-hmm. That never rang particularly true to me. And also, if you don't want to create that impression, then don't have one character leave in episode <laughs> two and the replace and the new character arrive in episode three, because yep. it always feels like a direct replacement. And yeah, I think that staggering them and overlapping a bit more would have made more sense. It would have felt better, I think, from a viewer's point of view, from a fan's point of view. You can believe that he was intending um, for Kachansky to be in Seven based Mm. on what we... um, Like, the timeline of Last Human. Yeah, and and also one eye on on the movie, wanting to do the movie after Series 7 and 8 already at that stage and knowing that he needed a female lead. Mm. And then Chris leaving presumably said no pretty close to things being to recording starting because you only have a chance to say no to a new series of Red Dwarf a couple of months before the recording starts, right? Yeah. So so like yeah, so yeah, you can can believe that he was maybe blindsided by that, but like yeah, I mean it was written like she was a direct replacement and in the story she's treated like a direct replacement sometimes. There's jokes about her being a direct replacement. Yeah, and the episode Blue is based largely on that. Mm. And it's the best episode, so one of the best But that's the thing, because Chris committed to doing four episodes of the eight, presumably had something in there that he would only do full 
episodes for two of them because otherwise why would you only use him in for bit parts in a robberus in blue uh so presumably in order to have them both at the same time they'd have needed to get chris to do more yeah that's true would it have changed our overall impression of Kachansky anyway? I don't think it would have made a blind bit of difference. Our overall impression of Kachansky, I mean, the bad first impression is Kachansky is replacing Rimmer, right? And then, mm. and then I like, I'll not lie. At the time, there's the faintly sexist notion of like it's ruined the just the boys atmosphere, which I will admit I had for a long time, <laughs> and it's it, I can see now that it isn't particularly a valid criticism because really the main problem is how the character is written and how the other characters around her are written to yeah. interact with her. Yeah, she changes the dynamic of everyone. Lister becomes all about Kachansky. Yeah. Crichton is negatively impacted in ways that we've documented mm. many, many yeah. times. The cat is not much of a character at this stage anyway, so let's just ignore him for the sake of this argument. The cat becomes a caricature of what he was in Six, which was already quite a heightened mm. you know, version mm. of his character. Yeah, I think I think what was needed was for Kachansky to mix things up and to affect every character and change the dynamic. Like that is what she would have been intended for and would have been absolutely fine if she'd changed the dynamic for the better. Like yeah. she did in Last Human. Last Human did a much better job of that. Like Well we can... see how Rimmer would be, like how how a good like um Rimmer Kachansky relationship would be um in Last Human. Like we see glimpses of it. It doesn't go very deep, but like there's a really interesting power dynamic between them. Yeah. With River all of a sudden yeah. not being in charge and having someone and that having he has no teeth. choice but to yeah, be obsequious to because she's a superior officer. Yeah. Also yeah. the production uh, method for seven was vastly different as well. So you're throwing a lot of new things into the system mm-hmm. that will yeah. ultimately change the way that you do things anyway. So, yeah. like they said about adding Kachansky in when they didn't have an audience, there was nothing for Chloe to react to, to know whether she was, you know, not that she's not a good actress, yeah. she's a good actress, it's just that there's no feedback as to whether it's what she's in a, in a comedy, it's difficult because you don't know what you're doing is actually working until you put it in front of an audience and then they get their reaction. I was going to say, even a novice to sitcoms, which I'm assuming she was, yeah, you're probably more likely to succeed at an audience sitcom because as, as more difficult as that is and more intimidating as that must be, as soon as you get a good reaction, then any actor yeah. will know how to deal with that and you know, and, and that would be a, a big positive. But yeah, just being in that weird, sterile, new sort of environment for Red Dwarf as well and being written yeah. badly. <laughs> like I said, in Series 8, that does that does change as well. Like Her performances do improve in 8 for me. She does seem a lot more comfortable. Yeah, she does. Blink and you miss him, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like again, like she was, she was the the biggest victim of, of writing. For sure, like I, yeah. the, the, I, I'd struggle to find a particular criticism to level at her as an actress. At uh, Chloe, no, no, no a, not Chloe, no, definitely right, not. Yeah. Um, Do you know what? I think the key difference between Last Human Kachansky and Seven Kachansky is that in Last Human she was happy to be part of the crew, and in Series Seven she's always striving to get home, yeah. and that's. That separates her from the other three. Yeah. So we've gone from having this really close-knit unit of four characters who, obviously, with Rimmer and Lister there, there's tensions within it yeah. all the time, but fundamentally they're all part of one team, all pulling together. Yeah. Not only are you replacing an element of that team, but you're completely changing the feel and the atmosphere. And yeah, you're right. there's constant built-in like a bad tension throughout. Yeah, she's not, always resentful of the fact tension. she can't get yeah. back. Yeah. She, she, she doesn't get on with the list that she's got in this reality. She doesn't, because he's not 
got the same things in common that she she had in the other dimension and Crichton is just doing her head in because reasons and you and know. because she's at odds with the characters that the audience love or have loved um, yeah. she's at odds with the audience so how is she ever going to be liked <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so basically it probably wouldn't have changed much at all um, probably wouldn't have changed much but it would have been interesting to have a glimpse of the Kachansky and River dynamic yeah. in 7 because in 8 they were of the same status they were all prisoners so we we missed out on that Kachansky Rimmer thing in the TV universe. Yep. Right, tick. Waffle one. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Fucked it off. <laughs> Our second delicious waffle comes from Nikki Hutchinson. Continuing on from the last book club ep, which was probably second to last. two, the last two book or club three book was... club eps ago. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah. Uh, have you ever taken the whole Rob was the funny one and Doug was the ideas one notion seriously, whether it was through the solo novels or the early Doug Penn series? I've gone. No, it, it feels it feels like as if you can't deny that there is something missing from the the Doug solo stuff. Mm-hmm. But there is some, and I don't know whether it's just a vetting process or anything like that, where someone is able to say maybe maybe we don't do that, like because Doug's got no. Um, I'd say no filler then, but that's not what I meant. I mean, <laughs> Doug has no. He's not been checked. Really, yeah, he, yeah, he's not, he's not been challenged on a lot yeah. of stuff, you know, other than other than some um, really, you know, really major things. Also, being checked by a script editor or your son or someone like that does not have the same weight or effect as being checked by a equal writing partner. A co-writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you you're in a much different situation there, and I think like. We've gone through various versions of this, like Rob versus Doug. Like we've had Rob was the sci-fi one, Rob was the funny one, Doug was the funny one, Rob was uh, Doug was the sci-fi one. Like I've seen yeah. all sorts of mixtures, but like yeah. the, what it comes down to, and what we've kind of experienced while going through the books, is that there's more missing from Doug Dwarf than there is from Rob Dwarf of that old style. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like Doug Dwarf is is more different, or. I mean, in the early days, we've had a lot more Doug Dwarf now, but like in those kind of immediate post six, we had Rob's backwards, and that was kind of like our little teaser of like what could you know what could Red Dwarf be with only Rob, and that was yeah. a much better, much closer approximation of Red Dwarf than Last Human Seven was, and so it's just kind of gone from there of like Rob was the funny one, Rob was the better one. Yeah, I think that's definitely where it stems from, and I think. Doug was trying to do something different yeah. with Last Human and yeah. Seven, and it kind of backfired in terms of popular fan opinion, fan opinion at least, not necessarily popular opinion. Um, and I think none of this, by the way, is a criticism of Doug, and I think it was, I mean, it's a bit of a criticism of Doug, but I think uh, it's a situation where the whole was greater than the sum of the parts uh, when it comes to series one to six. There was just this magic that was created by the pair of them. Yeah that if you take either one of them away and leave the other one there, it's going to be different for sure. No. Um, and I think we, we've we recently discovered kind of one of the reasons why, superficially at least, Rob Grant's book felt more like Red Dwarf to us is because Rob Grant was literally the writer, uh, like the person writing down the words onto the page. Yeah. And so that's a, immediately like we've got a certain tone that he, he's got, but like you, you can't you can't even fathom to guess of like the process of what Doug comes up with behind the scenes before it gets to Rob writing things down and like how much you know Doug was adding at those points it'd be a huge amount it's like 
you know, a squad a squad player in England in a inter, a major international. Like literally, everyone is is doing a huge amount of work in in training and like and benefiting the team during training, during all sorts of other things that you just don't even think about. Yeah, um, I think yeah, because it, it's all got it's all being filtered through Rob when it gets yeah. to his fingers. So you know, it's it's like you can't unless you start arguing about sentence structure and all that kind of stuff, which I I, I reckon they didn't do. As long as it, as long as it got the point across, it didn't matter yeah. how it was, how it was, how it was conveyed. It was a more of a case of as long as the joke works. Mm. Um, so you know, it's like I would have been happy with that. Maybe that does lend credence to Doug being an ideas person, maybe, uh, or like an ideas type of writer. And then as soon as he w- had to do the whole process, there was a bit more of a rocky process of him adapting to that than it was for Rob. But then Rob's written one book, and Doug has literally. Yeah single-handedly kept the show alive for 20 years so <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and also with practice Doug like I think series 11 12 like with the exception time wave and the promised land are closer to yeah. classic dwarf than it, than it has and, been, and like, produced obviously. some of the, some of the biggest laughs I've ever had from the show like a lot of Trojan a great like maybe most of Trojan is like mm. proper belly laugh like as funny as Red Dwarf can be, sort of stuff. Just to kind of pick one episode out. There, there are some really high moments in 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 Dugera Dwarf that that surpass even like any of the bubble. What we consider to be the bubble, which is one of six. In their individual moments, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. Is that the bubble um, had this consistency and all kind of, you know, you jump into pretty much any episode at any point during that episode, and you'll have really great stuff. Um, and we got we're getting off it a bit now, but I I think in general it's a bit of a trap and it's a bit of a a bad route to go down to to start saying or assuming that Rob was the X one and Doug was the Y one because essentially Rob is de- Rob is definitely the X one. <laughs> no, Doug is the X one. Oh no, yeah, Doug is not the X. Um, but why? <laughs> but why? <laughs> Solve for Z. Fuck! I said Z. I've been watching too many American A A B C songs. <laughs> Fuck my ass! What was my point? So you were, so you were saying basically it's not a good idea to to just state that Rob is X and Doug is Y. Yeah, there's more to it. It's much more nuanced than that. Of course, it is. It's really interesting to speculate, and we've had a lot of fun with the book club doing that. I think, and and we, we've actually, I really feel like we've kind of dug up some decent insights into like what are the strengths of, of Rob and Doug. But at the end of the day, we don't have enough Rob solo stuff to really mm. make any sort of, and hopefully that changes. But um, I think that they were just such an amazing powerhouse as a pair, like one of the best comedy writing entities that this country has ever produced, and it's, it continues to be. Not just in Red Dwarf, yeah, uh, son of cliche, spitting yeah. image, the stuff they did for Carrot, Carrot yeah, for, like, sketch writers, etc. Just all over the place. They've probably got their, their their fingers in so many other pies that we don't really realise. Like during the eighties, just you know, they were probably part of a great deal many other writer rooms or you know little sketches here mm. and there. And it's, it remains like a tragedy <laughs> that we don't have that anymore. But and I think that's what we're always we're all like kind of chasing that again, aren't we? We're, we're wanting to so we want to make sense of you know. Which one of them is going to give us that old magic back? And neither of them are because Grant Naylor no, is Grant Naylor. Naylor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Grant Naylor is not Rob Grant or Doug Naylor. It is Grant Naylor. Exactly. Okay, new waffle time. Dave has a lengthy waffle. 
do you think we'll ever see, and would you like to see, another significant evolution in the show's look and feel again? I feel like Red Dwarf has more or less looked the same since 10, and certainly since 11. Is this effectively the final version of Red Dwarf? After so many changes in the early years, new living quarters, vehicles, costume designs, even a new version of Red Dwarf itself by the end of the BBC era, as well as all the shake-ups of the status quo and character combinations, it feels like there isn't really any drive to make those changes now, maybe for financial reasons as much as anything. Mm -hmm. Promised Land-esque format changes aside, is this basically the last iteration of Red Dwarf, and is that a sad or happy thing? Sorry, I just didn't quite catch that question. Could you say it again? (laughs) (laughs) I guess... Because like the the financial thing, I mean, this is the boring answer, but the financial thing is what got my attention there. Because in the nineties, every series had its own pool of money, and a certain amount of it would go on building new sets or whatever. But now, Dave would be like, "We've got these sets. Presumably, they've got them in permanent storage. We've had the same mm-hmm. bunk room since essentially since ten, right? Yeah, a few tweaks. The ten bunk room is actually built from the from the corpse of the Back to Earth bunk room." So unless they decide to put a significant amount of a budget of a new series into reinventing what is already perfectly fine. Yeah. The only thing that would change it, I think, is just a production designer change. Series 1 and 2 didn't really have production designer. They had, well, they had Paul Montague and everyone, but they didn't have... That was, that was very harsh, Danny. They didn't really no, have... No, what, I mean, what, what I, what I kind of mean is that, that they, would, they didn't have a lot of money in the first couple no. of series, so that their production wasn't particularly tailored to the show. It was more of a case of what can we do. And then series two just used the same sets with, the, with a bit more colour. Like yeah. That literally was the only difference. And a couple of extra sets, like the drive room and the, uh, and, and yeah. the, the hologram suite and all that kind of stuff. And then series three was the necessity was Mel Bibby got involved. So he was the new production designer. And then that whole look of change was done because Mel Bibby brought a new look to the show. And then Series 4, they moved to Shepparton. So that's another reason to change the look. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, like you can see how the, the like there's the, there's always seems to be a reason as to why there's a step change every series. But when you get to 7 and 8, there's a bigger gap between series. So that's the reason why things changed dramatically. And then you got Back to Earth, which was another huge gap. And then between 8 and on, we've pretty much had a steady flow of series from 10 onwards in the same place. Oh, mind you, it's Shepherd's and Pinewood, wasn't it? So it's technically speaking, it has moved, but yet it doesn't look any different. Yeah, I know, yeah. Okay. But we've had, we've had about three different production designers, though, haven't we? All of those changes were ultimately driven by Rob and Doug. Uh, or Doug mm. uh, at the end of series 2 they weren't happy, they were never happy with the series 1 and 2 sets, Yeah, they wanted it to be different so they deliberately bought uh, Mal Bibby on board with the brief to rip it up and start again and I think for for series 3, 4 and 5 are pretty consistent obviously there's differences in the look due to the change in studio and the difference in tape quality but because they were largely happy with it, it stayed the same it changed for series 6 because they wanted to change the whole premise of the show basically reformatted the show yeah seven and eight also had their format changes so i think for both financial and um sort of editorial reasons uh, it won't change unless there's a real need to if doug suddenly decides that he hates these sets and he needs to do something different or for a story reason yeah it needs to be ripped out and started again I mean, the science room is sort of the newest addition to the whole yeah. look of mm. look of Red Dwarf. Like the science room is the biggest addition that's been sort of kept. And for that, they ditched the old drive room from series ten, uh, which was very small and pokey and 
wasn't yes, it was really a bit like a, it was a, like a Starbucks cockpit replacement. Yeah. And now that they've got Starbucks, yeah. yeah, it was a hybrid of the two, really, yeah. wasn't it? And in fact, it was redressed to be the blue midget cockpit in the last um, uh, couple yeah. of episodes. I think as well that it's not so much a kind of a clear cut decision between like if a new special happened and like it's not like oh it's going to look like eleven, twelve, and. You know, oh, it's not. It's going to look exactly the same with exactly the same sets because when I think of the Promised Land, I don't think of the fact that they've got the same bunk room and the same corridors and the same science room or anything like that. Like the image of the Promised Land in my head is the derelict and the planet, and so you you inject kind of a fresh feeling with the guest sets, really, and that's probably the big yeah. difference between four and five. Let's say is. They're in very different locations, or they're they're pushing for different things. Like four is pump house city, and um, and five is yeah. like you know a, a a lot more a lot a lot more different. And um, and that's how you kind of disguise the fact that essentially you are using the same stuff. Because I don't really feel like we're stagnating. Like may, maybe yeah. like refresh the costumes, like refresh Rimmer's costume, for example. Like Crichton yeah. gets a refresh every series anyway. Like yeah, Kat gets a refresh every yeah, episode. Yeah, gets a refresh every episode. Lister's very slowly changed from back to earth. Mm. Um, maybe also kind of shake him up a bit. But like, yeah, that would maybe be my my main thing is like change how the characters look because really that's the only difference between three, four, five is like you can tell which series it is by Lister's hat. Yeah, or Crichton's mask. You know, that sort of detail yeah. is the, is the stuff that I think really makes a difference. And I genuinely think that's one of the things that makes splitting 10, 11, and 12 in my head as like scenes from those series yep. because they're all such a similar look. It's very difficult to, to place them by look alone, which we yep. used to be able to do with earlier series. Seven mm. and eight, there's an obvious difference what's going on, but you know, from Back to Earth onwards, it's kind of Back to Earth maybe is a bit of, a, is a, is a bit of an outlier because that was a whole thing. Yeah, virtual um, sets. And yeah, and, and the, the, the bunker being a complete overhaul. This is a very specific yeah. thing to like my circumstances around series 10, but whenever I think about series 10, I always think about looking off to my left and and seeing what the guest set is for that episode because I saw five out of the six recorded. So I'm I'm thinking of like looking at this ginormous fucking Indian market set that they had and like <laughs> and uh, the Trojan uh, cockpit and like all these amazing kind of episode specific guest sets and that is what yeah sticks in my mind as like you know this is kind of the, the visual identity for this bit uh, rather than you know the bunk room or anything like that series 10 for me because we've seen the behind the scenes we've seen the fact the budget was kind of you know shrunk to almost nothing and they had to get clever with how the sets were made and how the sets were kind of modular and had to be moved about and you know and they didn't have time to i mean it looks fine but you can tell like 10 is the most recognizable series out of that dave era group for me like 11 and 12 are interchangeable because the same production oh yeah right. same block that's why <laughs> yeah. there's a couple of differences on the set and you know if you know those differences and, it, and you know even the series borrowed from one and the other because they didn't they had reshoots and yeah. first episode of series 11 has the series 12 bunk room exactly it's just it's, it's all a bit messy and you understand but you know why but like series 10 has a specific look to it that, yeah and again but what I find quite interesting is that like the bunk room has never been read until the Dave era, and yet there's something about the fact that you just when it looked and you're like that doesn't look wrong, mm. and I could never explain. I think that's just good design. Is the fact that you just couldn't 
really fault it. It was always kind of like, oh, that's that's a brand new look, and yet it looks completely fine. Yeah, the new sets for a ten, even though you know the drive room had its issues that we've talked about, but every single set has looked like a Red Dwarf set. It's looked like it should. Yeah, yeah. The starboard cockpit is very, very different to the classic series six and seven starboard cockpit and yet yeah. it feels right yeah, yeah. Um, when you see it in, with the proper lighting and it's not all washed out in blue, blue. I remember that controversy yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and um, yeah the red bunk room especially is like you can almost imagine that is what the series one bunk room maybe should have been or like or, or what Rob and Doug would say the series one bunk room should yeah, have been because it is more industrial it's a dirty like it's clearly a technician yeah. bunk room it's not the officers quarters yeah. yeah, the officers' quarters being all plush and cream and and luxurious, and then the grimy steampunky yeah. type. Yeah, <laughs> although yeah. maybe maybe, maybe they wouldn't shit. have expected it to be red because, as Rob Grant's told us in a documentary, <laughs> yeah. like, well, we didn't expect it to be red. We called it Red Dwarf. <laughs> we didn't want it to be red. It's kind of it's so such a bizarre thing that I never thought that Red Dwarf wouldn't be red. Like, yeah, no, like, it's of like, course it fucking is. Like I don't know that's what just what it is. Yeah. I, I just it, you know it's impossible to think it any other way. But yeah, just I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be averse to a, a, a you know production change that would you know keep things fresh. Oh yeah, keep things as fresh as possible. Yeah. It feels like we've hit a we've hit a nice. You know, it's not like it needs to change either. That's the thing. It's it's always like it doesn't no, like it's, it's a good. There seems to be a there's a template of sets, yeah. right? And it's it's currently really good. Yeah, and and yes. actually the amount of um, the amount of variety that has been achieved, like in the in this red bunk room's lifetime, mm. like you know maybe maybe there's you know maybe there's an article in this or something. But like if you if you like in our minds we're probably like oh it's been the same bunk room. But if we look at ten well, and twelve, and and <laughs> like and see, it'll probably be com- like almost completely shuffled, you know. The uh, the like Lister's um, like the big couch was like originally just like a leather couch and then turned into the back of that Cadillac, and yeah. it was like and it was like no one noticed that, that changed really. It was like for me anyway. I'd, I remember looking at it going, well, that's always been there, isn't it? It's like no, no, yeah. that's complete. And then you look at early series like, oh shit, no, it never was that. Yeah. <laughs> like why did I never notice? So basically, the current bunk room is the triggers broom of bunk rooms. Tr- triggers bunk <laughs> room essentially. <laughs> It's the same bunk room. It's just all the fixtures and fittings have been yeah. replaced several times over. All the, all the screens, especially, I think the the consoles, and I'm pretty sure the door to the right of the bunks has disappeared and reappeared a couple of times as well. Um, I mean, if they, they need to keep anything at all, they need to keep those um, animations that happen in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're the best. I don't know who made them, but yeah. Um, but but essentially, like, I mean, this is a bit like a football fan being forced to think about club accounts and money and stuff but if keeping the same sets and having the you know and they've got it in reliable storage and it's going to save a great deal of money on a on a, on a future budget then i'd much rather that and I'd much rather a lot more money is put into kind of the the episode specific stuff like guest sets like mm. special effects and even just time yeah. to make it better yeah yeah than you know, yeah, guest cast than reinventing the wheel because again, yeah, it's not like the old BBC series process of just like big chunk of money make series, then everything is done, <laughs> and then another big chunk of money 
make series all from scratch again. <laughs> like I know that's not really how it was, but like you know, yeah. when there was more money compared to now, yeah, definitely. When there was more money, that's how you know it was a bit more isolated. But yeah, now now it would be a case of Doug saying, "I want to rebuild the set, so can I have an extra yeah. fifty grand, please?" And and there'd be a reason for no. that. <laughs> like, do do you have the original sets? Well, yeah. We'll and then Doug would say, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but what what's the biggest biggest watch show on your channel?" And then they'll say, "Well, only because fucking Taskmaster got stolen." Doug. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> enough of this fun. That's the question. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think basically, there's also as, as well as the financial. There's a certain comfortable familiarity with it now. If they were to redesign the main sets again, the bunk room, uh, cockpit slash drive room slash science room, then you they'd take a bit of time to get used to again. Mm-hmm. They'd be you'd we'd spend part of the first episode back or as part of a special staring at it and kind of it not feeling quite right. It need it would need time to bed in. I think that might be a barrier. You want to just get straight to the thrust of Red Dwarf, which now in people's minds is these four plus uh, computer characters <laughs> on Red Dwarf that looks like this. And here's the next adventure. Yes, please, please, please. please. Let's have another. Chris Carter has a waffle for us. Uh, since we're all now thundering into middle age, thanks. thanks. <laughs> are there any episodes of Red Dwarf that you now look upon differently from when you first saw them, for better or worse, and why? Good one. Very good mm. one. Right, the obvious answer here, and only because we've done a commentary on it relatively recently, um, is Parallel Universe. Just because it's one of the only episodes that flirts with not aging well let's say like it, it, it's not that it it does it's not it's not one of those episodes that's just like oh god you couldn't make that today or anything like that but that is probably the episode that i have the most different perspective on in my in my age yeah i think the conclusion that we reached when we did the commentary which was over a year ago yeah, so it's okay well. to repeat ourselves is that it was satirizing the status of the gender stereotypes at the time and because that has shifted in the last 30 years thankfully then some of the points it makes are no longer relevant yeah basically yeah i would never i would never call any of it like there's not nothing bad about the episode but just like it's just not as enjoyable maybe yeah i think that's just more to do with the world around us rather than ourselves i think well it's chicken and egg it's hard to tell because what i think of is crazy tv specifically but it it pervades through series eight as well and obviously i never <laughs> never and actually no what did 12 year old ian of, think of it yeah this is <laughs> as a 12 year old i really liked series eight <laughs> because i think i was kidding myself I th- i'm sure i've we've done, heard i think we've heard the diary entries before, but, on a, on a cast at some point yeah but i, I did describe crate tv as brutal in a good way <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a positive thing which again is something that i wouldn't do today i would call it brutal <laughs> yeah but just not in the not in the right way <laughs> definitely hypnotic <laughs> yeah. um but yeah but even since i moved on from that 12 year old <laughs> um just being happy that there was new red dwarf and being blind to its faults although i did hate p part two even then but even beyond that even like a few years later reassessing it and realizing it was shit since then I find Crity TV to be even worse than the average Series Eight episode because I previously thought that you know it was it was shit, but as Series Eight goes, it was one of the better ones because it had some good laughs yeah. in it. However, 
knowing more again partly me getting older partly society changing the whole thing of <laughs> filming women in the showers without their consent is not on yep. i'd say and like the con the way that it's played for laughs is a bit uncomfortable but mainly the fact that it's it's based on the premise that Crichton has to go to women's prison and is classified as a woman because he doesn't have a penis which is a throwaway thing that in the late 90s was don't think twice you know, just, about just just yeah you don't think twice about it it's just a standard joke but if you think about it more than you're intended to think about it it manages to be offensive to pretty much everyone yes like regardless of their gender identity or their biology <laughs> it's offensive to cis women to say that the definition of a woman is someone without a penis is not a man mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> woman equals not a man it's obviously it's offensive to trans people and non-binary people of all types by saying that you are defined by your genitals but it's not even like Crichton doesn't have a vagina either right. so <laughs> what did turfs make of Crichton where, where does he go I mean he's toilet? a robot <laughs> yeah <laughs> or more, more accurately he's he's if he's capable of free will he's basically what whatever he feels like he is so you know yeah. ask that question that is such a better idea of having a, a robot Wing where all the knackered robots are and all the you know all the simulants, oh, the stuff, naughty all... scutters. Yeah, and they're all kind of yeah they're all they're all a bit they're a bit hardened like the you've got leggy they've got like got gang tattoos headless. on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Douglas Bader? Douglas Bader. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean though. Like, just time has not been kind to some of these episodes. I don't know. I mean, like, do you know what? For a show that existed at least in the late eighties. And nineties, it's it's done well. Like it, it, it's there's very little, and it seems little. to be all towards mostly towards the back end as well. Because mm. you've got things like I saw people debating this on Twitter a few weeks ago of like has Red Dwarf aged well, and the consensus is yeah, pretty much. Mm. But the other example given is Bent Bob in Duck Soup. Yeah, even that's a debatable. It kind of gets away with it, but it's based on gay fear for, on Lister's yeah. part like the concept that he might be gay being something that's so abhorrent to him that he has to rebel against it but I don't think it actually becomes offensive but it's just a, a topic that is it's worth it's worth discussing for sure and speaking of which there was a discussion um, I can't remember what thread it was in and I can't remember who it was partaking in it but basically <laughs> talking about Ace's gay panic um, mm. in the episode Dimension Jump in that like he um, reacts very violently <laughs> to uh, to a, a gay joke from Rimmer. I honestly don't see that as being a gay panic action from Ace. I always saw that. Maybe because I was a kid and I didn't really understand the, the, the nuances of it, but I always, I always, and still kind of can't really not see it anything other I than him just being really annoyed at Rimmer, just just constantly, like, just constantly yeah. being generally being a bit of a dick. And like Ace was just like, oh, do you know what? And just having a bit of a, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I think he just came at so that, that time when, you know, when he started to just sort of badly timed with that specific joke that, that sort of set him off. But. It's, yeah, it's worth, it, could have, it could have been any of the jokes. It's just yeah, I don't see it as him draw. thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm really not. But It's worth, in, like, it's worth um, inter- interrogating. Like, if you spot yeah. it, and it's like, it, I, because, I genuinely because you're thinking think about was... something in a way that you never used to, and I think that's kind of, mm. you know, that's one of the big advantages of getting older and hopefully yeah. wiser, is that you can yeah. look back on stuff and say, hmm, what was that about? And you might yeah. come to yeah. the conclusion it was fine, you might not, it doesn't really matter, does it? You just In Ace's defence, 
he's not particularly flustered when Bongo comes onto him. That's true. He just That's says, it, no, yeah, because he, he's basically. just yeah, he sort of looks at it with sort of like like surprise of just like oh I didn't I didn't know your your bread was but that side he goes it isn't. Mm. But, you know, oh yeah, that's like... that is a very good point. On the positive side of the getting older and reassessing things, I think an episode like Thanks for the Memory yes works a lot better when you're an adult than it, really, it does when you're a kid. It really does because you because when you're a kid you don't care about the soppy little stuff. Series yeah. one and two, it's all very as well. Yeah, really. it's all very talky. Not talky, the toaster. I mean, just, <laughs> there's, there's no exciting gelfs or simulants or anything turning up. Yeah. As I was getting older, I started to appreciate Thanks for the Memory more. Mm. Obviously, Seb Patrick championing it as I well say, amongst the G&T team has sort of helped us all to reassess Seb it. Seb definitely was the one that got me onto Thanks for the Memory. Um, yeah. Because uh, before, it was like, I probably had it in a bag with Waiting for God. And constant paranoia, like that. Great episodes, but just not, yeah. not in the the the, the upper bag. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's easily top five for me now. Like it's a Rimmer episode, isn't it? Really, that yeah. one. That is such a Rimmer episode, and it's considering oh, something never happened to Rimmer. It's such a Rimmer episode, and yet you know it, it's it's it says a lot about the characters listed in Rimmer. It's their relationship is properly strained with that episode mm. as well. Yeah. Um, There's a bit of philosophy in there as well. It's like, if Rimmer remembers these things as happening to him, they're a part of his memory. It's not a false memory. He's not lying to himself. It's, you know, you're yeah, the sum of your experiences. Feels. So what if that gets manipulated? Yeah. It's a big, con- it's a bigger concept than they ever. It's actually quite terrifying. The actually, the fact you can implant, you know, like a memory into someone and make them think that something happened when it didn't. Well, it's that, one of the most a... realistic futuristic ideas that the show had as well, especially early on, because mm. it, it, you know, it is like that whole question is central to the AI debate as well. Yeah. Um, so it's incredibly prescient. It's great in in hindsight, great sci-fi really, and also uh, like it's. A Chris Barry masterclass, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Chris Barry really getting to chop. That when you were a kid, you don't think, "Wow, Chris Barry had a great episode there." Like he, you know, he really yeah. showed his range. You don't really think about it. You're there for the gags. You're there for the story beats and stuff. Mm. But like, as you get older, you you start to appreciate the production of it. And speaking of which, like, I guess the model, like the model effects and stuff like that, which is maybe you know, something you enjoy when you're younger, but you don't necessarily appreciate again on a production level of just like how the fuck well that's yeah that's what Mike Tucker always says is that the ideal for him is that you don't think about it is that you don't notice his work unlucky mate well (laughs) but I think especially when you're a kid when you're just so wrapped up in this in the story and you're enjoying it you just think oh there's a shot of a spaceship it's like you know it's the same with Thunderbirds or whatever whatever what you watched as a kid and whatever kids watch now, you don't think about how it's made. But as an adult, you look back on it and go, oh, well, obviously that's not a spaceship. That's a model. Mm. Wow. They made that model. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the fact that they can still, you know, with a tiny little miniature can still create tension and and peril and And drama. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's like, that's the masterful bit is being able to, you know, still portray those things. So maybe in that instance, then body swap is something that you kind of have a bit more of an appreciation for because body swaps probably like, well, now that we're all fat bastards. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, But also a high watermark in like, uh, like when it comes to a particular authored model shot scene. Yeah. um, It's especially good. I mean, God, we've been fans of this show for 30 years. Give or take. 
Yeah. Man and boy, 30 years. I've only been a fan of give and take for about five years. <laughs> You're not a red dwarf, do you? Oh, no, red dwarf, man and boy. <laughs> but, like, how many times at this point have we reassessed the entire show? Like, countless times. Because every time you watch it, you reassess it. Every time we write about something, every time we do a commentary, yeah. we're constantly kind of reappraising. Maybe less so recently. Like, I don't rewatch the show as much as I used to. But, I mean, it's a constant process, especially when you're. <laughs> you know, when when you're part of a fan site that kind of you know, and you've got a good excuse to to be doing it all the time, basically. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I I don't think I I'd, I'd see the shows as differently as I do had I not been part of GNT because I've been given the opportunity to kind of analyze them a bit more and, and and delve a bit deeper, and with the excuse of being able to talk about it, and it's it's brought up a lot of things that I like I wasn't aware of or that I now have a newfound appreciation for even more so than I originally had just because of the amount of effort and, and work that's gone into it that I wouldn't be particularly aware of or wouldn't have delved too deep into had I not done any analysis on it yeah. so yeah it's kind of you know it's 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 I don't know whether I'd, it'd be the same if I was just a fan at this age or whether doing this at this age has, has made a difference but probably I mean yeah it definitely has and also like it's about who you surround yourself with I mean like becoming friends with like you know Ian give, you know with with more kind of eye towards the directing side of things can highlight things that you would just never have, have noticed you know Seb with the writing you know John with general production stuff as well just like loads and loads of parts of the show that I would never really have glommed onto if I, I didn't have friends around me that were making those connections and being like ex- more expert in those areas and then you know it just kind of lifts the whole thing uh, we have another question here from Ridley uh, hello Waffleman I find when playing International Superstar Soccer 64 there's just not enough variety in the teams available can you help me? Well, well, Ridley. Um, there's only one person that can answer this, so <laughs> and unfortunately, it's over. <laughs> oh, fortunately, he's long dead. But I'm here. Uh, let, let me let me see if I can do this. Hello, Ridley. Well, if you're not satisfied with the international teams offered by International Superstar Soccer 64, then you can of course unlock a bonus team by inputting the following code on the title screen. Up L, up L, down L, down L, left R, right R, left R, right R, B A, hold Z and start. And you will unlock a bonus team. Thanks, Games Master. Fuck off. Oh, he was doing Games Master. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a big head um, cheat, but you can look that up on the internet, which is something that no one would have <laughs> That's said. That's not Games what he Master. asked. No, so he can't answer that one. He didn't ask for that. 1965-09-17. There you go. That's, that's love <laughs> on Sonic 2, I think. Mate, did you... Up, down, left, right, A and stuff. Yeah, fucking, like, every every code I read says, keep pressing up, down, left, right until you hear a bing, not, you know, you should
Not more so than your Kevin Eldens or your Johnny yeah. Vegas's, uh, your James Buckley's. Yeah, okay, that's a that's a fair point actually. Yeah. I think Kevin Eldon would be quite fun um, if he just kept showing up. I'd have him like, so even him playing different people, like like similar oh, yeah. to the way that you know you've got um, Robert being various different people in the Red Dwarf universe and you know. Data Doctor. The thing is with yeah. Kevin Eldon is that he plays Kevin Eldon and. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Like he's like Matt. Be- he's like Matt Berry. Like he's a no. I don't think that's no. Fair. I, I think I it's... like well, in, in Kevin Eldon is a very very good stuff. impressionist man. He could definitely you could definitely compartmentalize any like. I know what you mean. You're saying it's he's got a style. Like it's, it's, it's style. His, I think it's more of the, his his look rather than yeah. yeah I think yeah. that's the problem is that Kevin Eldon is a very specific look, and I think Matt Berry has a very specific voice, and I think that's what does it is the fact that there's something very specific that they mm, can't really do mm. much about to differentiate their role. Okay, that's fair, yeah, yeah. Well I think of Kevin Alden in Quanderhorn, uh, which obviously is radio. So it's not encumbered by his face and he plays um an alien that's basically Terry Thomas. Oh hello okay. type of thing. And then sort of Leslie obviously, Phillips sort of No yeah it's it's supposed to be directly Terry Thomas, but I oh, couldn't think of any quotes. Yeah, it's because it's, it was. It's one of those things where he landed on Earth in the fifties and uh, tried to assimilate with. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a very Ford Prefect. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think in the old Tony Hawk's way of like voices for vending machines or suitcases or. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he didn't really change his voice, did he? He was just. He yeah, it's Tony really, Hawks. Yeah, he didn't really do much different. He just kind of was there, and he, was... he threw himself into Caligula. I think like, yeah. that was kind of his main. Yeah. Like, if you had to pick <laughs> one of Tony Hawks's roles yeah. to remember him by, it'd be that one. Even though, like, the guide in Better Than Life probably had more screen time than uh, Caligula, but Caligula is the one that is definitely his biggest and best role. Yeah, but we kind of do have a fifth dwarf, all right, in the in the Dave era. <laughs> Norman Lovett. <laughs> Norman Lovett. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, the obvious answer is that the direct parallel to Tony Hawk's is Ian Boldsworth, uh, because Tony Hawk's, the reason Tony Hawk's played so many roles in the early series is because he was there every <laughs> week. Yeah. <laughs> and he could just nip over and do a voiceover in between his warm-up duties. And um, <laughs> it's, it's brilliant that Ian Boldsworth got that one role Oh yeah, I, I've just realised who you were alluding yeah, to, yeah. and it was not Ian Boldsworth, um, Daniel Barker. Daniel Barker, yeah. See, t- no, I was thinking about effectively him, but... the same thing as Tony Hawk's doing lots Literally of different voice roles. Thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the difference is that Tony Hawk's was sort of known at the time, wasn't yeah. he? Wasn't he already um, on the comedy circuit and stuff? Like as a well, he'd had a he'd had a top ten single. When was that? I feel like he was mid late nineties was when he emerged, wasn't it? No, uh, Morris Minor and the Majors oh, was eighty eight. Right, okay, yeah, okay. In fact, it was in the charts when the end aired. <laughs> Excellent. Right, it was, okay. it yeah. is, it was languishing down towards the bottom, having previously been higher. So, but no, yeah, he also was big enough on the alternative comedy circuit and had done enough radio stuff to be relatively well known. So Morris Minor and the Majors came out of a TV show as well. Okay, fair enough. I don't think I'd ever thought about the early kind of chronology of Tony Hawk's. <laughs> uh, I didn't, yeah, I hadn't really thought. Well, also, about when when did he win his first skateboarding championship? <laughs> <laughs> so, we haven't really answered this question, but I, yeah, I guess like 
Ian Boldsworth speaking, being Daniel on. Barker is yeah, is either Ian Boldsworth da- Daniel Barker is Daniel that fifth is the, is that is that he suits that role for the later series for the debut. Yeah. Not mm. necessarily sort of being, you know, a recognizable because it's not like mm. as if like oh, yeah, Tony Hawk's recognizable from series to series, whereas Daniel Barker had very different roles in it in every time he was being used because he was because he had a, a you know a a range of voices mm. again it's budgetary mm. rather than yeah daniel barker feels more like um a useful asset that they used who was very good at his job whereas tony hawks yeah. was a funny guy who was yeah there a friend day. of the show <laughs> that is around he felt like one of the team and that's that's where the fifth dwarf epithet came and that's from, where the Ian that... Bowles, Bowlesworth thing definitely he works. was yeah he was with them mm. every single week yeah on you know throughout the yeah, studio and days and so, probably wasn't. probably some pre-record days yeah. as well Probably, yeah, probably had to come to rehearsals for at least some of his roles. Yep. So, I suppose he was, he was definitely one of the team. I mean, Rich O'Callaghan could technically be that as well to some, like some extent, especially earlier, like r- right at the beginning of the day era. Yeah, Rich O'Callaghan was very close to being very that fifth dwarf person because he was in, you yeah, know, he was, was in two consecutive series. Yeah, and two very memorable parts in those series as well. Yeah. You know, played a role in, yeah. you know. Very, played very straight movie one and played it very, very comedic in the other. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah, it was, it was going to be in the movie. Yeah, actually, I think he's probably my answer because I would have loved to have seen more of him, um, either yeah. Hoagie or him playing another character. Playing other people. Yeah, you're talking about range, <laughs> like yeah. getting a proper old love to, you know, play character. You could get him to do anything, couldn't you? Yeah. It's not only the difference between Hoagie and the creator, and like if you didn't know, you wouldn't necessarily clock that those were the same yeah. people. Not only that, but just the difference between both of those and Richard O'Callaghan, yeah. IRL, yeah. <laughs> like his appearances at DJ and on his 30th anniversary message that he sent into DJ. <laughs> it was like he went on for about five minutes. We had to go down there <laughs> twice. He did two takes, both of which were five minutes oh, last week for a thirty-second message. <laughs> but yeah, yeah <laughs> like, that man, that man it, literally it definitely has five hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. That, uh, I'm lock, I'm locking it in now. <clears throat> That's my answer, Richard O'Callaghan. Yeah, no one can take that away. No from one me. can take Richard O'Callaghan away from me. The toaster's yours. The toaster's David Ross. <laughs> I mean, I would I would like David Ross, but he, like he was he was sort of like a proto. Yeah, he was. Of, yeah, yeah. Because he was because he was in two separate two separate series yeah, and as John Lennon. various different roles. Yeah, John Lennon. John Lennon like, would be. I'd like quite, to see John Lennon in new. I really would like to see old. I'd like to see Let's the first Talkie Toaster again. Let's have the first Talkie Toaster talk into the new Talkie. The <laughs> first Talkie Toaster voice with the new Talkie Toaster um, body. Whoa. No, it would be like a multi-toaster episode where the Time Lords intervene and make uh, the current talkie work with the old talkie. They find the Emperor talkie toaster. <laughs> they survived through me. I know we've had talkie toaster again like in Macrocracy, but I really like the idea of yeah. having the other two toasters having an argument with each other. <laughs> like, they're genuinely getting annoyed that the other person doesn't want toast because they can't Shall eat we... it. Me squared, but we're talkies. Shall we segue quite neatly into an adjacent question? Yeah, we can do, can do it. Uh, yeah, let's be efficient. Genual, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. For no reason. I have no reason to believe that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Genual asks, uh, The show has returned to a few concepts over time for sequels or follow-ups, e.g. Polymorphs, Ace, 
or things like repurposing the matter pedal for the triplicator. But there are lots of ideas that are only seen once and sometimes almost in a blink and you'll miss it fashion. Are there any ideas that you'd like to see more of, either in their first outing or as part of a revisit? I think what you do, right, is you get me squared, make a sequel to me squared, but it's the toasters instead. <laughs> I mean, there was that, that idea where... What, what even was this? Was this just like an idea that Doug was saying about one episode where the toaster was going to turn the entire ship into bread? Oh yeah, was bread that? dwarf. That was bread dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. That was something that we'd have to go back and sniff around Jesse's coffee lounge cock. It was that. Uh, it was one of them. That was it. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Everything else happened apart from that one. Apart from, <laughs> apart from for some reason, the concept of Turkey Toaster returns and recreates. Or somehow converts the ship into bread. Yeah, he's he's become malevolent and starts to uh, convert the ship into uh, a baguette. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. So I am never a fan of revisiting. It depends because the Karma Drive feels different to Justice World and yet they are essentially the same kind of And they mention it in canon as well. Yeah, they even mention it in canon as like almost like a, like I don't know whether that was Doug sort of like covering bases saying people are going to go, oh, it's just like Justice World. If he mentions it, then at least, yeah, if you hang a lampshade on it, it it actually links it, you know, properly. Yeah, it it depends, like there's different types of sequels, right? Uh, We've got the, the very explicit Polymorph 2, um, and then we've also got Polymorph 3, but it wasn't called that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, yeah, sequels can definitely go wrong. But I mean, Emo Hot Polymorph 2 could have been, in fact, kind of is seen as a bit of a you know lazy sequel to, to an idea. Some some wrong people may say that that episode isn't very good. It comes out low in polls. Yeah, it does compared to the rest of the and bubble. It gets it gets unfairly battered, I think, because it is like I mean, if if you're going to do a sequel, do three sequels in one. Like you fucking go for it, like that episode did. If you're going to do a sequel, don't do it like Can of Worms, which is just like borrowing a brilliant old concept from earlier in the show and like completely fucking it. Well, the cat did. <laughs> yeah, literally, <laughs> completely. Like me. Um, I know what you mean though. I don't know. There's loads. There's been loads of different types of sequels. Like Back to Earth is a sequel to Back to Reality. That's doing it right, I think, because you're um, you're taking a concept and doing a whole new thing with it. Thing is, it doesn't feel like a sequel until the end. Yeah. The, the DNA machine. Like I think we've often said that DNA could have um, sustained a much longer episode. A two-part, mm. or you know, yeah, you, you DNA can get could more of that concept. You can get more out of just this world. Um, well, it's the case of like a remake it should anyway. have been done. It should have been done back in series four. Like to revisit it now feels like you're just kind of yeah. running old tread. Yeah, it's it's true. But then, I mean, when you build a world, right, and all these ideas, like taking an idea that you you've done already and like expanding on it isn't necessarily like oh treading all ground like it's using like the tools that you have given yourself well look at the novels look at the way that the novels took the concepts of better than life and backwards and did completely different things with them like just used the central sci-fi conceit to tell a completely different story and i think if there was any any further sequels that's what i'd like them to do mm-hmm. i can't think I've, I've been sat here racking my brain thinking maybe like the time slide stuff but then have they already sort of done everything they can with that and maybe yeah maybe dna maybe justice but i'm sure that there is somewhere in there 
Doug or Rob would look back on an old episode and go, ah, it, but what if I'd done this instead? Yeah. And that's where you can take it and do and do a, an unofficial sequel. You could have something akin to time slides, but it works the other way around, which is that instead of you being able to enter the ship, that the, the things in the photograph... Oh, shit. Shut, 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 shut up. That's awful. <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares about that. <laughs> so, you know, it's like... it's like The, the ring. Oh, God, yeah. I suppose yeah. that's essentially what that is. I've just described the ring. Yeah, I've just invented the but ring. Worse. Like, somehow worse. If you've got pictures all over your wall, and all of a sudden, like... the. Out pops Jim Bexley speed. Yeah. And... No, I mean, you'd have to project well, like, it, so it'd be, be a choice you would make, but it's a case if you don't realise that that thing would actually be able to... Like, you, you've always been able to get out of the... Like, the idea of no one ever tried to walk out with you. So, yeah. you know, it's like... The, well, the um, the snowball, yeah, the snowball. that Mark Steele throws... That's and, true. Uh, Hitler's briefcase makes yeah. the leap that way. So, they so go it can in, be done, Hitler, so Hitler could Hitler easily just walk the fifth out. Dwarfer. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. I mean, Hitler technically is the Kill fifth in lots of episodes. Yeah, he was a good one. one of the most recurring guest characters. Between that and Marilyn Monroe, I mean, you know, it's between Marilyn Monroe, Hitler, and Tony Hawks. <laughs> that good old trifecta. <laughs> Snug Larry Avoid. <laughs> shag Marry Kill. I would shag Marilyn Monroe. Marry Tony Hawk and kill Hitler. And, kill Hitler. <laughs> God, and I think that's the best way round. <laughs> it's the only way. <laughs> Didn't we have a Shag Mary Kill question? Yeah, we did, yeah, but it was uh, Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings, and um, Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock. Uh, I would kill. I would break the I rules would, of the game. I would, I would. I would kill Boris Johnson, kill Dominic Cummings, and kill Matt Hancock. Yeah. What I love is the fact that all of those people have surnames that are to do with penises. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> is the simulation failing? Well, that's a new QAnon-style conspiracy. <laughs> They're all. What cocks. is it with this cabal of cocks? <laughs> our our simulation, yeah. The ran- there's a random number generator somewhere that's that's gone a bit wrong. That's gen- generated these. <laughs> Someone needs to change the seed. <laughs> Do you know Theresa May? No, Brian May, though. <laughs> Come on, Kepsi. No, but thanks for, thanks for the tip. There you go. <laughs> Do, you know, Do you know Victoria Wood? <laughs> no, but thanks for the tip. Eddie Izzard, true or false? <laughs> <laughs> uh, where were we? So we were talking about sequels or follow-ups. I think, oh, like I said, time, time Slides has got more legs, I think. I think that's got more legs. I as do a, as like an the idea. idea of yeah, of sort of Flipping they find it. a new batch of mutated developing fluid and they assume it'll work the same way as the old one, but they can't enter, but things can exit. Yeah, they, they didn't realise that actually, like they they come out and something follows them basically. How is that not the most terrifying thing that <laughs> you've ever heard? I just think you could do something cool visually. Yeah, you could. Like, that's really that's cool. a, a really good idea. <clears throat> yeah have them sort of shimmery lighty projections entering our world yeah it feels very doctor who yeah, as well like that doctor idea who, yeah. does feel very it is more of a doctor who idea part one, <laughs> the shimmery um figures resolve and they're cybermanic <laughs> yeah always always they're always cyber-manic. doing the fucking the dimension shifting shit bastards absolute <laughs> bastards i think the uh, the dna machine's got potential legs for for more to be done um, um, what about wax it can world? give you many potential legs yes well again did Rimmer technically I mean that's technically what um, Officer Rimmer is 
with the that's a I bit guess, DNA yeah, and a bit a more bit like DNA. the thing and you know like it feels structurally similar to DNA in that it's a completely different story and then it's a monster story yeah, right, right, at the end. right at the end yeah and ends, and ends up, and ends quite abruptly <laughs> so yeah. yeah yeah I mean <clears throat> meltdown maybe because you can always have more you know historical figures. <laughs> It's weird because you, the the second you name an episode, it's like I can name a parallel. So as soon as you mentioned Meltdown, my brain went to Cured. Uh, cured. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah Cured. Fucking because hell. of the yeah, exactly. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. th- th- these ideas have been kind of revisited in a way that they're not like direct. You know, they're not wax droids, but they are droids, and they're based on historical figures. So yeah, that's yeah. very true. They're pretty close. Yeah. I think we have time for one last waffle. Ein final waffle. <laughs> and this comes from a young lad who's uh, very enthusiastic. He's, he was written into us. Uh, please be kind to him. It's his first time uh, on the podcast. Danny Stevenson ah, that's uh, asks, <laughs> similar to how Holly got listed to delete all Agatha Christie novels from his smeggy memory so that he could read them afresh, are there any books, films, or moments in your life that you would like to erase from your smeggy memory so you could experience each, <laughs> so you, that you could experience them afresh? I'm so glad you read it in the way that I wrote it. I, I, I like also that you said Agatha Christie, like some sort of um, Agatha. That's, that's what Lister says. Oh, Agatha Christie. Yeah. That's what Lister says. He gets it wrong. Ah, fair you enough. You don't remember. No, I don't. Just remember. erase Agatha Christie from your smeggy memory. So yeah, Danny posed us this poser a few weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it constantly ever since. I think it's really weird because it's, it's one of those questions where it's like, uh, I'm really good with coming up with questions that I really can't think of good answers to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the obvious thing would be to say Red Dwarf, but I think that would be too much of a risk. You wouldn't have the same reaction if you had it with, if you, you can't erase your mind back to that point, it's like you've erased your memory now. And you're watching it afresh as if you've never seen it from now. I think you can never fall in love with something as a 35-year-old in the same way you can as a uh, 7-year-old. Yeah, your heart yeah. turns to stone as soon as you turn 30, essentially. Yeah. Like, you, you, can't, you can't get It's not going to capture your imagination in the same way yeah. and all and the rest of it. So the, the problem with going with, let's say, your favourite thing is what you said there about, like, you know, it's a bit risky. Like, you might not like it fresh again. Also, you've kind of got to like throw away all of the side stuff around it. So if we chose Red Dwarf for this, <laughs> then um, all of a sudden, like being part of a Red Dwarf fan site, it would be very challenging and weird. Short term, we'd get some excellent content. We could, we could, we could do a, an intro. Account. Initial initial reactions to yeah. the end <laughs> would be amazing. But yeah, if it was maybe if it was temporary. Where like my memory is being stored of Red Dwarf, okay, and, then you and just... I can get it back. Then maybe because it's <laughs> oh, yeah. so you could yeah, yeah, you're allowed to yeah, yeah, that'd be good. It though. would take it would take me thirty years to accumulate the same amount of knowledge, and I, I'm not sure I'm going to be alive in thirty years' time. So it would almost have to be it has to be something that you you greatly enjoy, but um, is not kind of essential to you. So like I, I couldn't like say I'm been waiting 10 years for the next song of ice and fire book right so i could say oh let's you know forget all those books so i could be read them fresh but then i've also got hundreds if not thousands of hours listening to podcasts analyzing these books every last bit of them and so would i be throwing away all of that as well yeah <laughs> and like have to relearn that or would all that still be in my head and it's all very messy for the purposes of the question let's assume that we're deleting it forever deleting it forever and we can't and, and we can't just get it back with that in mind, then, I think this has to be a computer game. 
Yeah. And I think if I was to pick, it would probably I would probably pick um, Morrowind, which is an Elder Scrolls game that isn't Oblivion and Skyrim <laughs> that came before <laughs> them. Um, but it's my favourite of them. Do you know what? I hadn't even thought of games. That's such a good show. Because you know what you're going to like. Yeah. And it's just like experiencing that for the first time over and over again. I used to be able to replay... Like, I have replayed Morrowind about three or four times. It's a very, very big game. Big role-playing game. But um, I can't do that anymore. I, ca- I cannot replay a game. even No matter how much I loved it, I just I need to have the unknown of what's going to happen in the story or like the unknown of like exploring certain places. I, ca- I couldn't play a game knowing roughly where everything was because mm. you just lose lose interest. So yeah, I would I would forget that. It almost feels like a bit of a cheat to be honest. Uh, it's a good it's a good one. Yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of telly mm-hmm. mostly because that's my main area of interest. I'm tempted to say um the classic series of Doctor Who, just the classic series okay. because I did a thing as you both know a few years ago where I went back to the beginning and watched all of Doctor Who from 1963 onwards an episode a day and wrote a blog about it, link in the show notes. <laughs> but the problem with that was that most of it I hadn't seen before, the, the odd ones that I had, but I kind of knew when everything was going to happen. Like, I knew when Hartnell was going to regenerate into Troughton and Troughton oh, into Pertwee, yeah. etc. I kind of roughly knew when all the companions were going to come and go. I knew that, you know, this is the one where the Cybermen are first in it, this is the Daleks one, this is the, uh, you know etc yeah so you were never coming to it completely blind and i just think how amazing it would have been to not know what a regeneration is before you see the first so you'd one. have to you'd have to kill all of doctor who then not just i guess end. i would yeah, yeah and just trust myself like start start watching this <laughs> this black and white series from 1963 and trust me you'll go on yeah, to yeah. love it so once you've erased your memory you then draw on your face that you've done it and then you don't even know what the references. <laughs> Danny did a Doctor Who joke. I did. <laughs> Good. And then the other option is Father Ted. I would also have to erase all knowledge of Graham Linehan, <laughs> yeah. which would make my life so much better Father anyway. Ted relies so much on old love. <laughs> it does currently. Yeah. But yeah, if I was to erase all knowledge of Graham Linehan other than just being a name on the credits of father ted then i would i would be able to enjoy father ted from fresh and i'm pretty certain that i would still oh, think yeah. it was one of the best comedies I, ever i can still enjoy father ted i just i, I can still I can. enjoy but i can i can still enjoy father uh, black books um yeah, oh, yeah. well I, I think the difference between that and something like um harry potter to pick a random example mm-hmm. is that uh a sitcom is naturally a big collaborative process and it's a big team effort regardless of the fact that Linehan never wrote a good show on his own he only wrote a shit show on his own and then wrote good shows with other people so A you can pretend that Arthur Matthews did 98% of the work or or Dylan Moran Uh, but also it's not just the writing it's the performances and it's the the casting it's the the actors actors, it's the everything is what makes a sitcom good I suppose it's harder to separate art from artists when it's a solo effort like a novel yeah that's the, that's the thing i've kind of had to learn to do it otherwise stop myself from going slightly insane is the, yeah. to, to, to split the the art from the artist because the amount of times when you discover something about someone and it really kind of you could you could really ruin everything that you know is you know kind of core yeah. to your <laughs> to your yeah. being and it's like it just it just you know makes everything into a lie or you know 
something that you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be aware of. It was because you had that um, Jim will fix it fan site, didn't you? <laughs> no, but genuinely, and this is this is you know, I'm, I'm going to admit to this because it's something that really does bother me a lot. Is the fact that the reason why I like animation and cartoons is because of Rolf Harris. Yeah, yeah, and it's really, really difficult to remember all of the things I used to watch as a kid and watch those cartoons that I used to love and not be and not have all that be. Uh, scarred and smeared mm. with all this horrible shit and it's like it's really really hard to like because it's fundamentally core to my being is my love of animation and cartoons and and warner brothers and all that stuff and it's like my memory my earliest memory of all that stuff is shows that involve rob harris and cartoon club and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and it fucking hurts when it's like it's 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 such a basic part of me that is you know like related to something that's so fucking horrible it's really hard to pass it's yeah, really yeah. hard to pass so ideally you would delete your memory of Rolf's cartoon club but still have the same love for the things that he showed on but i wouldn't be able to get that back i wouldn't be able to get that back without um... so what we, we don't need lister removing memory we need the inquisitor to go back and I was change say, Rolf Harris to, to, okay, to someone so yeah, is, <laughs> so we can keep erase Rolf Harris from existence yeah. no, but and replace him with a version Harris. that does all the cartoons and does all the the well maybe not the music but some of the music but isn't a nonce it'd be slightly different be all the cartoons would be slightly different but I think it would be kind of a worthy trade off yeah I mean obviously you know JK Rowling aside Harry Potter would have been my would have been my go to I think because that well, that, yeah, that's perfect then. If you erase the knowledge of J.K. Not, Rowling's tweets not, as well just, as yeah, but this is the thing: is the that if you do that, then like you you are you are doing yourself a disservice, I think, by like removing your knowledge of J.K. Rowling. I think your love of Harry Potter relies on the memories you have of when you originally experienced it. That's it, and that's and that's what that's what you know, and, and that's, that you I have can to still have that. and I can again I can still compartmentalize that yeah. in my head. Mm. I can st- I can still do that. It's a, it's a shame that it's 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 tarred. So yeah, like um, we say, it has to be then something that isn't as critical to our soul. Mm. It has to be passive. It's it just some, be... something that you've that you have that you did and you really. Do you know what? I'd love to experience moving to another country again that cool. was a whole fucked up that was a whole thing of like when yeah. i when i moved to sweden for a short time and that was like that was such a cool experience i would love to experience that completely afresh because it was terrifying but amazing in all in, in equal measure yeah and i think that's the kind of thing that i would i would say is something i would love to to experience for the first time again but you know, I could just do that by going somewhere else, <laughs> a different country, <laughs> and you go to another place and do it again, doing yeah, it again a cheaper, with the a cheaper knowledge. country, <laughs> with the knowledge of what you learned originally. Like, yeah. You know. yeah, I mean, we're we're getting back to, you know, what 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 we were saying about thanks for the memory, almost, aren't we? Like, you know, yeah, we are our memories and our past experiences. So as soon as you start chopping them yeah, out. Yeah, we are shaped by them, we can't change them. Yeah. So, you know, and and until that's doable, then, you know, we <laughs> just have to fucking deal with it. I think I've got one that is safe, though. It's something that is core to my being of who I am, but I could just remove a specific part and experience that afresh. I would remove from my memory all knowledge of the 1982 European Cup final. I fucking knew this would be football. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. All my knowledge of who won it 
how the how the game went, what the result was, who scored, who played, everything about it, and just sure. be presented with the DVD and just without the cover that says Aston Villa Champions of Europe. I was going to say you'd have just... to okay, you'd have to disguise this a bit better, right? Because otherwise you'd be like, why did I choose to erase the European Cup final specifically? So what you'd have to do is erase <laughs> your memory of Aston Villa from 1980 to 1984, let's say. Yeah. And say, "Oh, I and like and write a note to yourself saying, I erased this time because we we did decently and it was a really good period of time and you know so, so just watch it all again and then you'd be like okay yeah and you watch 80, 80 81 and obviously you win the league and then and then you'd have the build up as well and you wouldn't know yeah the European <laughs> you'd Cup go coming. through you'd experience getting to the final yeah. as well as winning it <laughs> but yeah it would be a bit of a clue <laughs> just watch this specific game yeah watch this final <laughs> of this. Like, because it would be a horrible trick to play on yourself if you were to like, a final oh, that you why lose. Have I, why have I erased the 2000 FA Cup final? This is going to be brilliant. Like some things are just better left buried. <laughs> Again, conversely, there's a, there, there is another question here, which is basically what would you want to remove from your memory that you never want to experience again? And that's a whole other question. Oh, yeah. That's that's Rimmer's end of that argument. That's yeah. Just remove and not rewatch again. Yeah. Not re- not I do re-watch. have an answer for that, but I'm not saying it. Time wave hyperdrive. Oh, I mean, time wave would be it, but it was much more serious than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a video on YouTube I saw that. I was like, once I saw, it, I was like, I wish I could scrub that out of my memory. I hope I never see that again. We've all got those. Link in the show notes. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I think that went quite well. I think we should do another Waffle Men special at some point in the unspecified future. Yep, we're still, we still we we didn't get through all of all of your kindly submitted questions. So um, and there are some beauties in there as there's well. There's some really good ones we've saved. Yep, there's some that we're holding back because they would fit well with a specific uh, dwarf cast that we're going to do in the future, and some that we've held back because they require more research further and, reading yeah, for... and we forgot we forgot to do that ahead of <laughs> this particular recording the episode that called for questions for waffle men was yeah. it's about a month old at this point but it's only just gone out but it's uh... but nevertheless we're always on the lookout for further waffles so if you've got anything that you'd like us to tackle in a future waffle men special or waffle men segment uh, then do get in touch you can leave a comment on this article over at www.ganymede.tv or you can tweet us Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. Just time for one last waffle for now, though, and that's from Nikki Hutchinson, uh, who says, having now covered all of the BBC and Dave Era Dwarf, plus about to finish all four of the Grant Naylor novels, what's next, if anything? Uh, no, nothing. nothing. Down no, we uh, we mentioned briefly some future plans uh, on a previous podcast, but just for the record, next up we're going to do commentaries on things that aren't Red Dwarf episodes, uh, be that spin-offs, extras, bits and bobs that are connected to Red Dwarf but not strictly episodes, or possibly things that aren't Red Dwarf but are related to Red Dwarf through some sort of cast or crew connection. And in place of book club, once we finish that, we're going to move on to the Smegazine Club, uh, which is called Pending a Better Title. Smeg Club. Oh yeah, just just the, Smeg the, the Smeg. Dwarf, the Dwarfcast Smeg Club. The Smeg Club. Okay. I like. I like I've there. been thinking about this, and I, it's short, concise. Club. <laughs> uh, the S Club. The S Club. Because <laughs> there ain't no party like an S Club. There'll be more than seven episodes. But what is more immediately next is part four. 
of the Dwarfcast Book Club on Backwards, covering the chapter about nipples and uh, gonads, whatever it's called. Gonad execution remember. kits, yeah. Yeah, that thing. Uh, so catch up with your reading if you haven't already, and look out for that one hitting your podcast feed next, uh, whenever we've recorded it and edited it. But until then, stay safe, stay happy, stay positive. Staley Bridge is a town in Tameside, Greater Manchester, England, with a population of 23,731 as of the 2011 census. When a water-powered cotton mill was constructed in 1776, Staley Bridge became one of the first centres of textile manufacture during the Industrial Revolution. The wealth created in the 19th century... Ed by, everybody. Ed by. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Sort of looks at it with sort of like like surprise of just like oh I didn't I didn't know your, your bread was but that side he goes it isn't. Mm. But, you know, oh yeah, that's like... that is a very good point. <laughs> it makes you wonder how would he react to uh, John Barrowman getting his lad out and putting it on his shoulder. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell, that was really well timed, Captain. Well done. Yeah, just as he said, the middle of drinking some jeans. <laughs> got my full drink when he said that. My Vimto. Because that reminded me of two separate quotes. <laughs> one being from Father Ted, and he had his lad out. And the other one was Pauline in League of Gentlemen. It makes me wonder how he'd handle a situation more like this. <laughs> I think my subconscious was probably thinking exactly the same thing. Hello, Games Master. Did Holly ever recover from his computer rashes? (laughs) (laughs) Who is that? Where are they now? We need to do an interview. We need to track him down.